Hi, Wine Delusters, and today I'm speaking with Ben Groundwater. Welcome to the Wine Delusters podcast. My name is Janine, and I run a wine events business in Canberra, Australia. In this season, I'm talking to 12 specialists from the wine industry and the travel industry and asking the hard-hitting questions we all want to know leading up to Christmas. What to serve, what to buy, and where to go on holidays. So pour yourself a glass and let's get exploring. Ben is all about travel. He's the author of three books, a columnist and feature writer, and his writing has been published all around the world, including various airline magazines and regularly in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. He was named Travel Writer of the Year by the Australian Society of Travel Writers in 2014 and 15. He's the host of the Traveller podcast, Fly to Fancy, which is one of my favourites. Listening to his podcast and reading his articles recently, there's been a lot of chat about wine, so I thought he would be the perfect guest for Wine Delust with his love of wine and travel. So to say I was absolutely stoked that he agreed to speak with me is an understatement. Welcome, Ben Groundwater. So thank you so much, Ben, for joining me today. I think most people think you've got a dream job, travelling for a living. But the biggest thing is, how did you get into travel writing? I mean, you have to be a good writer, but from what I've read and heard about you, you've done some pretty unglamorous jobs when you were backpacking in your earlier years. (laughs) Yeah, I worked on a farm for a little while in Scotland. Um, I used to be a cook for tours going around Europe, um, which which is all great fun. But the way I got into travel writing, I, I mean, it's kind of boring in some ways. I studied journalism at uni. I worked for a magazine in Brisbane for a little while, like a like a sort of lifestyle magazine, um, and then took some time off and, and did that job as a cook. Um, I, I'd always had a sort of relationship with food and stuff that, that I enjoyed, and I'd always cooked for a living before that. Um, so I did some cooking around Europe for a bit, and then came to Sydney and and stayed, went back into media and started working for the Sydney Morning Herald on a, on a casual basis, um, doing sport actually on their sports desk um, as, oh. as a sub-editor there. And just got to know lots of people in the newsroom, including the guys who were on travel. Um, and, and I, you know, I love travel and, and they were sort of looking for new writers or, or new people to do blogs, basically. Everyone at that time, everybody wanted bloggers, but they didn't really know what blogs were. All they knew were we have to have blogs because that's what, that's what cool people do. So I suggested writing a travel blog, which was about sort of budget travel and, and what I saw as kind of real travel as, as opposed to what I was reading in a lot of travel sections. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ended up doing really well. And that kind of kickstarted my, my way into the, into the industry. And it went from just doing one weekly column and that was all to sort of starting off and, and writing a few more normal feature stories. And then I wrote a book and that sort of has, has kind of solidified my place there. So you started in the, the sports desk because your most recent book is all about the world of sports. That's another point of passion for me. I, I grew up playing a lot of sport and I've always really enjoyed it. And, and it's kind of, uh, you know, the great thing about being a writer is that you manage to combine, you know, writing itself is a passion of mine, but you can also combine these other things that you love. And food is one of those, wine is one of those, uh, but also sport is one of those as well. And so I've been able to combine sport uh, and travel and writing all together, which is amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, I was always into sports. So I was a natural fit for the sports desk because I just already knew a lot about the, the things that I was reading about and writing 
wondering about. Um, so, so yeah, that felt natural and it felt natural to write this book as well, because it's so much of the travel experience for me. I, I sort of channel culture through sport sometimes when I'm traveling, you know, I try to get along to sporting events, regardless of whether I know anything about the sport or anything about the people playing. I find it's just a place to sort of naturally mix with people, with locals and, and, you know, enjoy something that's not a show. It's not put on, it's, you know, it's not forced in any way. It's just sort of a, an experience of, of local passion and local culture. And, and so I, I find that really enjoyable. Yeah, that it resonated with me because um, I went to Mongolia about 10 years ago and I timed it for the Nadam Festival with the, oh, right. oh, the horse riding and the wrestling and the yeah. archery and every, all the costumes. Yeah. And um, it was, it was really cool. So after watching the Ewan McGregor documentary, I had to time yeah, around right. that. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I do think that, yeah, getting that um, that culture and everything so through sport is a really great way to do it. So if you can go to matches and stuff when you're overseas, that's a really great thing to be able yeah. to do. Yeah, and, and often, often like, they're really bizarre events. Like, the Nadam is, is, is strange in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, like, you know, there's things like like camel racing in the United Arab Emirates. It's wow. just bizarre. They have robot jockeys and they race over these, oh. like, 10-kilometre 10 kilometer tracks and like it's really hard to understand the the love of it and the passion but just to sort of be there and, and observe it and be part of that is that's the real attraction I think. Listening to your podcast and some recent articles your love of food and wine comes up so do you see a food and wine travel book on the horizon at all? Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually I'm about to sign a, a deal um, with with my regular publisher Hardy Grant to write a, a big guide to Australian food and wine. Actually, oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited about that. It'll be a chance to sort of channel that that passion into into something. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've spent so much time in the past touring Australian wine regions and and you know, drink tasting lots of wine and going to restaurants and stuff. So it'd be nice to to yeah, get that all down on paper and, and share the places that I really enjoy going and also you know, do some more research and find some places that I've never been to. Oh, that's that's so cool. So would that maybe another year or? Yeah, I, it's going to be out around November 2022, as uh, you know, as long as all things go to plan. So sports for Christmas presents this year and um, wine and. You've got it all covered, the whole family. Yeah. yeah. So you've got a couple of kids now, and I know I've got a young son, and travel has changed since having kids. What are the some of the biggest changes that you've noticed? Here? Oh, it's just, I mean, it's it's a total game changer. Everything has changed. And 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 you'd think that by now, you know, our, our oldest son is is three years old. You'd think after three years, we kind of get used to the idea of traveling with him and knowing what to do with kids, but we just don't. We're absolutely useless. We took a road trip down to Beechworth um, a few months ago before lockdown um, and, and Beechworth at Rutherglen wanting to do some wine tasting and stuff and just thinking, yeah, you know, we can take the kids along. We'll we'll go to this winery and then we'll go to that winery. And, you know, we tried to hit a million places and there were and the kids were absolutely bored crazy and started screaming. And the whole thing was an absolute disaster. And we got home. We we're like, what? What were we even thinking? Like, you can't do that with kids. You can you can maybe go to one winery in a day and then go to a park or a playground or something and give them something that's actually for them and that they enjoy. And then, you know, that's a recipe to having a decent day. But but trying to do the same number of things that we used to do and to the same places that we used to go to, it just doesn't work. It's just not worth it. <laughs> it is a bit more slow travel, isn't it? Just uh, taking it. I mean, it's nice steady. in some ways. Yeah. Forcing you to slow down and just have a look around and, you know, literally pick up the flowers and smell them and put all the rocks <laughs> in your pocket and kick all the sand out of your shoes and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> I remember the sand, yes. Yeah. <laughs> sand pits, yep. All right, so we'll hit the, the big questions. So on Christmas Day, what would we find on your table, uh, one of the dishes and a wine that you would have? 
So I, I should preface this by saying that my sister-in-law is a sommelier for, you know, used to work at Sixpenny, which is a three-hat restaurant, now works at, at Where's Nick, a wine bar. So she has an extremely good wine knowledge. My father-in-law uh, is also very into wine, has a huge cellar, um, knows a lot about it. And so basically, I don't bring a whole lot to the table when it comes to Christmas. I, I don't need to. We do tend to spend our Christmases with that, with that side of the family um, because my, my parents are in in Queensland are a little bit more difficult to get to but but generally they do a, a Malaysian style turkey um, wow. which is yeah turkey will sort of basted with all these sort of Malaysian style spices um, which they do usually with like a stir fried sticky rice or something like that which is absolutely delicious and, yeah. and completely different to um, to what I'm used to eating for mm. Christmas as well um, but in terms of wine Usually, it, I mean, always every every meal there starts with champagne. Bollinger is a house favourite. Bollinger rosé, even more. Bollinger grand Anais, if if we're really going for it. Um, so maybe a Bollinger grand Anais for for Christmas might come out. And then then there's usually a Chardonnay. Um, my father-in-law's been drinking a lot of the Polpero Chardonnay lately um, from the Mornington Peninsula, which is nice. which is absolutely beautiful. Um, and I think there's a fair bit of that left in the in the cellar. So some of that <laughs> I think so. As well. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, then if there's a red, it's usually um, Dalwini um, winery from the sort of Landsborough down in, in Victoria as well. That's it's kind of um, my partner's, oh, my, my mother-in-law is from that area. And so she sort of, there's sort of some emotional ties there. And it's also beautiful wine. So uh, there's, there's some of that hanging around, which might come out at Christmas too. Oh, that sounds great. I'm going to have to look up the Malaysian um, spices of that. That sounds really interesting. I don't, I don't even know where the recipe came from. It's become like there's, there's, no, there's no Malaysian connection in the family or anything. Yeah. It's just there, there is a big, deep interest in food there. And that just was done one Christmas, I think, and everyone decided that it was great. So they just keep doing it. Now, do you have now this would be hard for you with all these um, wine enthusiasts in your family and wine experts. Um, but do you yeah. have a go to gift for your wine loving friends and family? Um, yeah, I was having to think about this. I think a really good bottle opener is, is like your best friend. It, it makes a real difference. Like I had no idea until until recently when we bought a really beautiful wine wine bottle opener. Um, just just you know a normal waiter's friend type thing. Nothing nothing too fancy or or amazing, um, but just something that's beautifully made and and heavy and and works perfectly and and looks nice as well. It's just something really lovely to have in your home, particularly if you love wine and you're going to use it a lot. Um, it sort of brings you joy. There's there's a there's a Japanese word for it, for for things that bring you joy. You know, everyday objects that bring you joy. Um, and it's called zakar, and and that you know a bottle opener can be that with, without doubt. And, and so yeah, that's what I would go with something that's quite expensive and beautiful that you that you're just going to have with you all the time. I lived in Japan and I did not know that word, so that's a terrible. <laughs> so I've learned, I, look, I've I, I think it's here. fairly. It's, I mean, it's one of those fairly recent concepts. I think in yeah. the last like ten years or so. Um, but yeah, something that I've I've kind of taken on board and, and pay attention to now. No, that sounds great. Um, especially because yeah, you don't like breaking a cork is the worst thing. Like trying to get that out. So um, a good bottle yeah. open is a, a great idea. Absolutely. Now I know it's hard to choose just one great Australian wine region. Have you? But have you got one that you've had a great experience at that you'd like to share with us? I look, I've had a heap of great experiences all around Australia. Um, really, really love Margaret River. I think, um, you know, if there was one one winery to rule them all for me that I would keep going back to, it would be Margaret River. Best experiences I've had was actually in Clare Valley um, in mm. South Australia because it's it's such a small area. And, you know, went along to uh, Kerry Thompson uh, doing Wines by KT 
um, she runs her own cellar door. And so, you know, you're going in there and you're meeting the winemaker mm. and, you're, and you're talking about the wine to the person who loves it. But then we went out to a restaurant, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, called Seed, um, which was an amazing place. But in the bar there, a whole bunch of winemakers just hanging out and drinking. And, and you know, we sort of got chatting to a bunch of different people. Uh, and, it, and it just, you know, we felt like locals straight away. You know, you're, you're there, you're talking to the experts and you're made to feel welcome. And that's not a thing you can find, I think, in, in larger areas, in more touristy areas. Mm. But Clare Valley still got that kind of homely, neighbourhoody um, type feel to it, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, that sounds great. So when international borders open, which wine region would you like to visit or return to? So I'm thinking I, I spent 2019, most of 2019 and, and some of 2020 um, living in San Sebastian in, in the north of Spain. Uh, and we managed to get across to, to the Bordeaux uh, region, um, which is only a few hours away, um, in particular to, to Saint Emilion, the sort mm. of sub, sub region there. Uh, and it's just gorgeous. Uh, you know, the, the wine is beautiful. The scenery is incredible. Uh, and there's this bakery there in this little little village called Montagna, um, which made the best bread I've, I've ever tasted in my entire life. And, you know, baguettes that cost like 80 euro cents and were just oh, wow. life-changing, mind-blowing, you know, just with a bit of butter on them and, and, and some raspberry jam and just incredible. So I want to go back and have that experience again. Um, I, you know, I think that would make me feel like, you know, everything is right with the world again. You know, we can travel, we can go to these amazing places, we can have these experiences that we're used to. That's something I'm really looking forward to. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, Bordeaux is great. And it's so big. I think I thought it was going to be like the size of the Hunter Valley or something, but it's a right. massive city. And then each of the little sort of sub-regions larger than I was expecting. So yeah very very, very traditional very beautiful like a little bit intimidating in some ways because you know you're going to these sort of premier houses of wine mm. that, that you know have been there for hundreds of years and and it can be a little bit stuffy the tasting experience like you know you're often expected to go on these big long tours of the of the winery and learn all about how it's made and stuff you're thinking just you know can I just have a, a sip and <laughs> see what it tastes like but we did we did find that you know there are places you can just roll up and, and have a glass of wine and chat to some people and then that's totally fine as well and then I found people in that area in particular just so friendly and so nice um so yeah i would highly recommend that to people oh that's excellent that's great thank you so much ben that's some excellent tips for us yeah my pleasure thanks for having me on thank you so much for listening subscribe now to get each episode as they drop go to wanderlust.com.au for everything discussed today you can also subscribe to my newsletter and hear of all upcoming events news and merchandise Till next time Happy wine travels.